The following programme is a repeat of The Farm Show, which airs Thursday nights on KCLR from 7. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. This is The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you with thanks to TierlawnFarmLife.com. You're very welcome to The Farm Show. I went walkabout this week, got as far as Gordon on Tuesday. Very impressed with myself I was. I was down at, on the Farrell Farm uh, for a, a special Chagask AHI uh, calf demo. And uh, as the song almost says, it's going to be raining calves any day now, right around the country. On Wednesday, I went a step further, got uh, down to Charleville for the Irish Grassland Association conference and met a, a range of interesting people. Uh, one of them, actually, the uh, president the newly elected, newly minted president of IFA, that's Francie Garman up from Leash, and uh, that's where we're going to begin the programme. Francie Garman, newly elected uh, president of IFA, just on Tuesday actually, the official inauguration, uh, congratulations, and the big point you made uh, in your uh, address to the National Council of IFA was incomes, the all-important thing for farmers. Yeah, it always is. It's overarching. I mean, we have issues around nitrates and cap and cost of doing business, but all that impacts on in income. So if we get that right, it should follow on that income will have a positive effect on income. And it's a huge challenge because there are so many facets to it. It's not just prices anymore. You have uh, an awful lot of farmers dependent on the various schemes and so on. And then you have the cap payments and that. So it's, it's a multifaceted challenge. It is. It's it's a, a cost of doing business regulation, hugely important as well. Um, even uh, I think a land use policy is something we're going to have to look at because how we use our land going down the road to meet our climate change ambitions, that's going to impact on land availability and it's going to obviously drive costs at farm level as well. So across the board, it's that, it's it's it supports. And look, for, for most of us now, the markets are playing an ever more increasingly, an ever more increasing role in, in, in the bottom line uh, margins and Maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's not. You can't totally depend on them the whole time, especially maybe in the vulnerable sectors. That's why the supports are so important there. Yeah, referencing land use there, and you prioritise that again. And there are so many different calls on land use now. Ultimately, it's the farmer's biggest asset, and it needs to be protected. 100%, and we made that point quite clearly yesterday. Farmers within reason have got to be given the freedom to be able to farm the land in the way that they wish. Um, How the government... You know, DAD policy, the forestry policy, every scheme you're in today requires a hectare of land almost to be part of it. Uh, the re-weapon policy, that's all going to impact on land availability or how we use our land efficiently down the road and has a huge impact, particularly on farmers, uh, you know, that are farming maybe in a more commercial way, uh, a more, more intensive way and maybe more dependent on the marketplace to give them a, to give them a margin. By coincidence or otherwise, your four-year period as IFA president going to coincide with a, a number of huge changes in agriculture. You're looking forward, of course, towards the, the next cap, 2027, but the build-up takes three or four years. Correct, the the yeah. initial discussions have started already. And there's going to be another look at that all-important nitrates. Cap is hugely important, but I think, you know, starting tomorrow morning, uh, if, if you were to ask me what's the most important issue it has to be the nitrates directive and protecting that 220 at the very least with the ambition that if, we've, if we can get water quality heading in the right direction that there may be a possibility of getting back up that towards the 250 and I've, I've said it more than once I think it's hugely important that we we're together in this in IFA 100% that we have other farm organizations with us 
and advice to be more generous in the space that we allot to other farm organisations and groupings to have us all together under one hymn sheet and that that will happen. Absolutely, I think the processing industry have to come on board with the farm organisations and fight this in a way that they haven't before. And look, Chagas will play a hugely important role in that as well because you do need the science. And, and I've, I've uh, you know, always have had good faith in Chagas to be able to deliver the science in, 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 in a way that, 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 that would be beneficial to us. Look, it shows even on the, on the current derogation being reduced to 220 from 250. The science shows no discernible increase in water quality. So all the measures that we are adopting on farm, they need to be given time. And I believe if they are, they will, uh, they will prove, uh, they'll prove beneficial in terms of water quality. And it would be an awful pity that in two or three years time, if water quality starts improving, that people will, would look back and say, the reason it's improving is because we reduced the stock and the organic stock and rate on farms. When in actual fact, it probably will be the measures that farmers adopt out of the Mac curve that will have driven that water quality improvement. I heard your economics guru, Ty Buckley, uh, discuss the whole nitrates uh, derogation at, at the Grassland Conference. And he made the point that it has huge implications for all farmers and indeed the, the industry in general. Are, 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 the, are your members, the broad scan of your members in IFA, aware of the fact that it has implications for everyone, not just a minority? It's a good question. Maybe not to the extent that they do. And I think part of the fault, part of that fault may, maybe lies with us in that it, at times we have fought this and maybe just have been a, a solely a dairy issue. And I've always made this point from way back that it affects everybody. It affects dairy, uh, intensive dry stock farmers, tillage farmers, uh, even, even less intensive dry stock farmers, young farmers who are looking for the 10 or 15 acres maybe when they come home from college or school to get them going in their own, own right, that's no longer there. That's going to tighten up land availability in a huge way for everybody. And on the dairy side of the house alone, it's most definitely going to make what is, you know, a really, really efficient way of producing milk deliver a good margin, an awful lot less efficient. It's going to put huge pressure on people's ability, you know, to maybe meet commitments, cash flow down the road. So across the board, it's absolutely imperative that we get our message right on this issue and we get everybody on board and we secure that derogation. Francie, you mentioned uh, the next cap. Uh, it's, a, it's a finite budget. It's been a finite budget. It's now being used for all kinds of ancillaries, <coughs> most of all environmental is it a viable aim to look for an enlarged fund there? Well, I don't believe you have any other choice. And I think, you know, the European Union, are, 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 they're going to reach a tipping point at some stage where they're going to have to say, are we going to prioritise food production in Europe? We have the most sustainable climate probably in Northern Europe in the world for producing food. We generally we don't irrigate, uh, uh, certainly in Ireland, to produce the vast majority of our, of our food products um, it's it's a challenge in the third world countries. It's fuel and migration into Europe. So we need to be able to produce food in, in a, 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 as much as possible to be able to feed the world, if you call it that, and, 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 and export. And particularly in Ireland, that's what we do. We're a food producing country. And the European Union are going to, if they want environmental ambition, they're going to, if they decide to fund it out of cap, they're going to completely undermine the viability of our of our uh, ag- agri-food business, not just at farm level, but further up the chain. And I think if they want environmental ambition, they're going to have to pay for it out of a separate environmental budget. Will we get there? I don't know. But I can't see any, or any other alternative, alternative for us as a farm organisation but to drive that narrative and try and bring people on board with us. 
Same here in Ireland. They have plenty of money to put on the environmental side of the house. And yet when we look, we look for supports for the agriculture side of the house, it feels like we're almost robbing people that don't have it. And, uh, and that's not right. And our government need to, need, need to get their priorities right as well and decide, are they going to support our really, really tourism and agriculture are the two real indigenous in- industries we have here. We're always going to be here and we should be supported in a greater way. The Agri-Food Regulator has been set up. People are already wondering whether it is capable, it has the powers, to produce a bit more fair play for primary producers. Well, certainly, look, when it was set up initially, primary producers like myself that would deal with, with meat factories for, for, for selling me lamb or me beef or, or the marts, it, it was more designed towards your large, uh, uh, your larger scale horticultural road that was dealing directly with the supermarkets. Um, I'm not sure if she's been given enough teat, but if she has, if Neve Lenehan and, 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 and Joe Healy and the board of the Agri-Food Regulator have the ambition to try and deliver something, you can have all the regulation in the world, but if you don't have people with ambition to try and do something, regulation won't deliver it. So if, if, Neve, if Neve Lenehan wants to deliver on that, um, uh, I believe within her, you know, she has it within her remit to certainly rattle the cages. And look, supermarkets have been out crying wolf in the last week that they're taking the hit on this. They don't. We take it the whole time and it's the primary producer. And we've seen it with the, I know I'd have been in touch with the growers in North Dublin. They're exiting the business. No more than liquid milk suppliers because the margin isn't there. I hear people argue that um, in, the income, the, the accounts of supermarkets or indeed beef uh, packers should be um, open to public scrutiny is that achievable? Well, they should certainly be open to scrutiny by the by the by, by Neve Lenehan and 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 uh, the Agri Food Regulatory Authority uh, at the very least. And like, if they're not prepared to put their figures out there, she should be able to uh, she should be able to get out there and expose them if if they're wrong. Francie, ICBF brought in a number of index <coughs> changes. It's created an enormous amount of controversy. Some would play, say that, you know, the game is already halfway played and suddenly the, the, the rules are being changed. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, certainly that's an issue. People join the scheme. We have cows in calf that are going to calve down and produce replacements that will be used in that herd before the end of the scheme that will not meet the four and five star criteria. That's an issue for those closed herds. It's an issue for pedigree breeders. And for me, uh, what the ICBF and uh, need to do is they need to be able to demonstrate to farmers the economic advantages of following these breeding practices. And if they can't uh, can't explain to us that this is a better way to go economically, to me, you know, if we change our practices, economics has to be the first driver. Maybe environmentally and and socially after that are are the are issues you'd like to see see uh, taken into account. But it's got to be relooked at because farmers are not happy about it. And if, if you can't bring farmers on the road, which if you want change, you're not going to get that change. And we've already seen there's only 15,000 farmers in that escape scheme. And I don't know what the figures were in the sector cow welfare scheme. If you go back 10 or 15 years ago, it was near to 30, maybe more. So people are not joining the scheme. And if they're not in the scheme, they're not getting the data and you lose out there as well. So it needs to go back and, and be looked at and try and bring as many people on board as possible. There's an ongoing controversy over VAT rebates. Uh, the T-shirt gave some off-the-cuff remarks which, which suggest that he's amenable to to changes and compromise. Did you read that into his remarks? Oh, absolutely. I sat beside him at dinner last night for an hour and a half. 100% I did. And I mean, look, when you have the teaching of the country saying that this is an issue that can be resolved, um, you know, revenue need to go back and look at it and ensure that uh, that we, we get this tied down properly. 
to me, it seems like there's a different interpretation of a regulation that had been there for a number of years. People were still getting their refunds on certain types of equipment up to very, very recently. And look, we've been in touch with Revenue Wanna through Carol Cassan, our Farm Business Committee, Bill O'Keefe, your, 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 your own family member is heading up our Farm Business Committee now. Look, it's in safe hands there. To be fair, they have a great grasp of it. And, they, and, and we'd be prosecuting it in the hardest way possible. And look, after the Taoiseach's comments, I'd be very, very hopeful that it will be resolved. Francie, finally, uh, uh, over the next four years, we're likely to see huge land use changes. And you, you, you mentioned the, the preservation of the autonomy of, of the owners. But aside from that, with so many pulls on land use, now we're going to have biodigesters that will require fueling. We have solar farms. We have wind. We have uh, a requirement for more forestry. Do you think all these things can be engaged with at the same time as maintaining our food production? Certainly, if you're going to tie up land requirement for everything, um, uh, it all can't be done. Something will have to give, whether it's the policy around AD or forestry, or as they're trying at the moment, um, to reduce stock numbers by stealth. Something will have to give. They're all important, forestry. I think AD is a role to play, not in the not in the extensive way that they're trying to roll it out with 200 AD plants around the country. I don't believe it'll be the answer to the slurry issue that maybe uh, some people think because wet slurry is not very efficient in these digesters. So um, there's a role for it there, but but I think, and I've heard Colin Markey um, more than once mention this, the need for a proper land use policy in the country first, and we don't have that. So maybe we, we need that before we before we go down this road any further. For the next four years, you're going to be at the beck and call of everyone. You're going to be working on behalf of farmers. Are you looking forward to it? I am, and sure, look, you're beck and call too. Anytime you want me, give me a buzz and I'll be, I'll be delighted to come on. And I am looking forward to the four years, definitely. And look, I've, I believe that myself and Alice Dyle, I'm looking forward to working with Alice, um, first Deputy President, uh, Lady Deputy President of the Association. And I think, I think we'll work well together. And it's about bringing everybody together with us within IFA. I think we have we had a resounding mandate, but there's always, I think, in, in the association, when a new president and new council take over, a, a goodwill factor towards them. And it's about us harnessing that goodwill factor, bringing people with us. And, you know, why wouldn't they be looking forward to it? Congratulations and the best of luck. Yeah. Now, after the ad break, we'll be uh, taking a few voices from that uh, calf demonstration down in Gorn. And the first person we'll be starting with is uh, a veterinary surgeon, Charles Chavas. He'll be talking all about calf housing. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. These calves that are about to be born are the most valuable calves that are going to be on your farm genetically. You've been breeding from your best cows, you've been buying the best team you possibly can, etc. Okay? So they are your future. These are effectively the crown jewels. You need to look after them, you need to be really good to them. So it's fantastic that the owner is doing that because his attention to detail, with all due respect, will be greater than someone who's just an employee. And to be honest, when you read that down through that, I've never met Paul before. And I don't know if you might be standing in the book, sorry. But I'm about to say, he's obviously busty. This is a really good thing to have in a calf breeder, okay? So I'm mighty impressed just by reading that photograph straight up. Okay, that's one thing. The other thing is, the importance of these heifers, okay? There's been a lot of work that's been shown that a heifer calf that remains healthy and grows quickly in the first six weeks of life will not only produce more milk in her first lactation, but critically, she's more likely to go in calf a second time. 
Now, I'm not talking about the first time. The first time is easy enough to get a heifer and calf, to be quite frank, okay? Getting first calvers and calf for the second time is critical to your business. If you can't do that, you're not going to make money. It's quite simple, because you don't make enough money in the first lactation. You have to. And actually, what you do between now and the beginning of April has a direct impact on that. If a calf gets one case of pneumonia, okay, she's going to produce less milk in her first lactation. She's also less likely to go back to that. Even if you get success with treater, you know, so it's not about treatment, it's all about prevention. And on the prevention front, people ask me why I bought a three-legged stool. A three-legged stool, if you've got a sound three-legged stool with three good legs, okay, you can stand on that all day. Now, I'm not going to, because I've got a new knee only three months ago, and I'll tell you what, if I stand up on that, the wife will be walking out on me. She doesn't like me doing too much of it is. So, but if you've got a three-legged stool, and you look after the three legs, you can stand on all day. Okay. In calf health, right, it's quite simple. There are three legs to the stool, okay? One leg is about colostrum management and nutrition, and we've already touched on that. I'll come back to it very briefly in a moment, okay? The next leg is the environment we keep them in, i.e. the sheds and how well we manage them, okay? And the third leg of the stool is the pathogen load, okay? And that's the bugs, okay? And how you deal with the bugs. Now, part of dealing with the bugs is keeping the calves away from the bugs, okay? And part of it is about vaccination. But if you look at all three legs of the stool, you'll be okay. But you won't get away with saying, well, I've got a perfect calf shed. I'm not going to bother vaccinating and I'll do the calf. You just see what I'm saying? You have to do everything. You can't just go and do one or two things. You've got to do the whole thing, okay? So that's the reason for the... Um, the, the, the three-legged stool. Um, and when we look at a calf shed, which is what I'm meant to be talking about, I'll get there, huh? is there are five points about a calf shed you need, okay? Come around, lads. Um, and the five things you need is it needs to be well-ventilated, it needs to be draft-free, it needs to be warm, it needs to be dry, and it needs to be clean and cleanable. And it's very easy for me to list those things off, okay? But actually it's quite difficult to do it. Because if you think about it, what's the easiest way of cleaning a shed? High volume hose, isn't it? Just spray all that muck down, okay? The moment you've gone and done that, you may have cleaned it, but it ain't dry anymore, is it? And funny enough, actually, it's not warm either. Because as soon as you make the floor wet and the walls wet, it's just got cold, hasn't it? If you walk into a shed with wet walls and a wet floor, it's immediately cold, isn't it? So all of these things, they don't necessarily pull in the right direction. And if we have well-designed calf sheds, okay, it's much easier to manage them. If they're poorly designed, it's more difficult. And frequently what happens is that we end up by taking sheds that have been used for something else and making them into calf sheds. Now, I appreciate that's beginning to change now. A lot of people have invested in new calf sheds. But a lot of the time, we're adapting sheds, and we don't always necessarily get it as, well, as good as we might do. Now, if we talk about ventilation, which is critical, with a calf shed, there are a few critical things you need on the ventilation front. You need an air outlet. It doesn't matter how the air is getting into the building, you need to have a way of the air getting out on top of the roof, okay? And generally, it's the top of the roof. In an ideal world, we'd have built the shed so that the orientation of the shed, the long axis, is perpendicular to the direction the wind comes from. Again, not always easy to do for other reasons, but if you've got a choice, that's what you need to do, okay? And what happens is you'll have the structure of the roof like that, you've got the sides like that, and the wind is coming from the southwest generally in Ireland, hits the side of the building. Some of the air comes straight through the side of the building, and, but really importantly, particularly if you've got a steep 
ridge on it, the wind running up the roof, okay, it actually creates negative pressure at the top here, okay, as it goes past. And that effectively sucks air out of the building. And by sucking air out of the building, it then draws air through the sides. And we know that for a car, you need 0.04 meters squared per car. So in other words, if you've got 100 cars, you need a hole in the roof that's 4 meters squared. And the way you work that out is you stand underneath the hole and you just try and measure it, guesstimate the measurements, and multiply the length of the shed. So that's how you've worked that one out. The size of the shed needs to let air in. And whether that's Yorkshire boarding or vented sheeting, you need to calculate the area to see that there's enough air getting in through the sides. We're going to start carving in 10 days' time. You can't go and put up Yorkshire boarding in 10 days' time. Okay? It just can't be done. All right? you, know, you haven't got time to do it. But I would encourage you to look at your shed. And if you know that you had problems in the past and, there was a lack, and you felt there was a lack of ventilation, come up with ideas about how we're going to let more air into the shed this year. It's worth trying to work that one out. Now, that was Charles Chavas, and next stop is George Peppard of Chagas talking about breeding for that all-important calf. And uh, bear with us, because there were a few bullocks in the background intent on destroying my audio, but we did our best. Traditionally, I suppose it's fair to say that if a dairy farmer had a short gestation, easy calf and bull, they were probably more than happy. Okay? Get, get him calved early, easy calf and no hassle, that was the number one. Now a little bit more emphasis has come on producing maybe a higher quality beef calf from these dairy cows. Because if you go into a farmer's yard or a mart or an agent's truck or wherever you want to go and you see two black calves, at two weeks of age, getting the same milk, the same rearing, they probably look little or no difference. Will those two calves be the very same at two years of age when you go down to the factory to hang them up? They may, but they may not as well. There could be a huge difference in them in two years' time. So how do we know what that difference is going to be? From the beef farmer's point of view, there's a new index that's come out now. It's called the commercial beef value, and that's the CBV. And that gives every animal a rating, and there's a euro rating, and there's a star rating. And that's, that star rating goes from one to five, with a one-star animal being in the bottom 20% of animals, and a five-star rating where the animals are in the top 20%. So what, what star do we think we want to be producing? Five, or maybe four. We'll even accept four, Terry. So we'll accept four and five stars. So how do we get a four and five-star CBB animal? So we have to go back to our dairy beef index. We need to pick out a high DBI value, now, the problem with the DBI, it comes from about five or six different trades. It comes from carcass weight, it comes from fat, it comes from uh, confirmation, docility, age of slaughter, feed intake. It comes from a number of different trades. So we want to ensure that we drill down into that figure and pick out the beef sub-index. And if you take one thing away from this stand today is that the beef sub-index from the dairy beef index should be 100 plus to give us a four and five star CBV calf, 100. This CBV is the genetic potential of the animal. So it's, it's come from the genetics of the mother, the cow, and the father, the bull. And these higher CBV animals, they will finish earlier. They will fall into the, the factory specs. In the last number of years, a lot of dairy beef animals have fallen out of spec. We're getting more and more peas 
We're getting more and more with not enough fat cover. We're getting lighter carcass feeds. So the higher CBD animals will fall into the market specs, they'll have better carcass weight, they'll have better conformation, they'll probably grade, grade a grade higher, and all that will culminate in a higher price and a more saleable animal. And if we have a more saleable animal at a higher price, hopefully that will give you a more profitable calf beef system. Now, continuing on our calf rearing and health management theme, Laura Hannan, a farmer up in Drumree in County Mead, spoke at this year's IGA conference down in Charleville on Wednesday, and uh, I took an, ex- an excerpt from her address to the audience. So, just a little bit about my background. Uh, I qualified as a general nurse in 2017. I worked for two years in Beaumont Hospital in the operating theatres. And while I was there, I was doing the distance learning green search at day one. And before I finished that, I had decided that I wanted to leave nursing and go home farming. So I've been home farming since 2019. Uh, over the last two years, I was completing a part-time degree in agriculture. So I graduated from that a few months ago uh, from the IT. And last summer, uh, I was awarded the Animal Health Dairy Farmer of the Year at the National Dairy Awards. So our first step in calf health is early disease prevention. So this time of the year, every year, we'll sit down with our vet. We'll go through our herd health plan and see if there's anything we need to be changed. Uh, so our herd health plan will include like all our vaccinations and include the scammer vaccine that we'll be doing around now as well. Um, we'll look at issues from last year, see if there are any kind of solutions that we can come up with to prevent it happening again this year. Uh, last year we developed a scour protocol with our vet, so it's there in the background. Uh, we have a protocol for an individual calf with scour and what to do like with a pen, a full pen calf with scour. So we have a lot of SOPs on our farm. Uh, every calf is tagged or they will spray on the bathroom classroom before they leave the calf calving boxes. So the thing we'll be looking at when we're going into the calving season is our own personal hygiene. So uh, at start of the year, we'll all get a new set of waterproofs uh, so we can wash, it, wash ourselves down. Uh, make sure there's no holes in your wellies that you can actually dip your, your wellies in the foot bath. So at about 11 o'clock at night, the last check is done. Any cows that look close to the cabin are brought in. And then uh, the next check will be about 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, don't get me wrong, like if, if something is... Wailing. If it wakes me up, I'll go out and check it. Um, but generally, the cows calve themselves. We haven't had issues with it. Um, most of the time, it's during the day that we have calf deaths. But the only issue I have is that in between those times, our cows aren't getting classroom. Um, we blood test the cows every year to check their, that they have got sufficient immunity from, uh, from the classroom and we haven't seen an issue with it. Uh, so it, it's the system isn't causing any trouble with our calves' health. Our calves are getting four litres of colostrum. Uh, they all get stomach tubed. Uh, we've tried in the past to separate uh, calves or the cow's milk uh, so that the, cow, the calf is getting its mother's milk, but it just doesn't work when you've got like 10 cows coming in in the morning um, all to be milked. So milk is good, but we do check the quality with the refractometer. It's not an expensive piece of equipment um, and it's easy to use. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. 
Tyg Buckley, the Director of Policy with the Irish Farmers Association, also addressed the IGA conference in Charleville on the theme of the competitiveness of Irish dairy. Uh, what I uh, focused on here is a bit on just looking at our competitive advantage in Ireland. So why we have a competitive advantage in Ireland from a dairy perspective? A lot of this is actually makes it's not it makes sense to you. And then, but I suppose it's just when you put all the bits together, why why we are in terms of as competitive as we are, and then a small bit about that's the, the medium to long in terms of dairy. So I suppose just first of all to put in context, we're sitting we're sitting here today in Charleville. In 2022, the Farmers Journal with KPMG did a study and they looked at a number of towns around the country in terms of the agricultural impact. And one of those towns they looked at was Charleville. And KPMG estimated that within 30 kilometres of this venue here, the economic output from dairy is 1.2 billion euro per annum. And it's 8,500 people employed. But that's only 30 kilometres up around this, this hotel. So what you're dealing with is a hugely, it's, it's a massively important industry. And that just puts into context how you know the, the level of economic output that, that the industry is doing when you look at just this, this hinterland here. Just first of all to talk a small moment about where we've come from, because there is a lot of coverage of, uh, about the expansion. I think it's important to note that so when you if you look at the period post quota, we've increased milk sales by about sixty-six percent, two just under two thirds nationally. But the number of cows go up by about a third. So there's been a huge productivity leap since we since quotas were removed. Over so we've done we've more than doubled the output relative to what we've done in terms of uh, dairy cow numbers. And that in terms of milk sales particularly rather than meters. As milk sales have increased as well significantly. So there's a massive leap in productivity. And that's been done predominantly in a sustainable way. And so when we look at sustainability we look at it in three from three perspectives, social, economic and environmental. So from a social point, socially, I suppose if you look at it, it's still a family farm model. So I just took four countries here, Ireland, the US, New Zealand, and the Netherlands. And you look, so if we look at it from the average herd size, it's still around 100 cows, small and under it. So it's a, you know, it's a family, family farm model. From a carbon footprint perspective, we're as good, like the, you can potentially measure it. But effectively, any of the measurements you look at, we're up there amongst the lowest carbon footprint per kg of, of fat and protein breads of milk of any of the New Zealand ones. We're there, thereabouts. But often, what's not spoken about is the, is the water footprint of Irish uh, dairy. So, blue water is a measurement of how much water you're using that you're basically taking from either from, your, it's not falling from the sky, so to speak. So, you're, you're extracting water from either a, a, a river or a well, or you're using maize water. And the footprint from an Irish footprint affected the lowest in the world, which is about six litres of blue water per, per kg of fat and corrected milk. That figure in New Zealand, because they irrigate in a, a lot of the country, is about just under eight litres. And then you go to the Netherlands at 60, you go to the US at 77. So where this, the expansion has happened, you, you look at it across a number of, of, of aspects of, the, of sustainability, it stacks up very well. Now, the, the, what's going to happen, what we need to do from an industry perspective is now move to reducing absolute emissions. And that happened last year, and it's going to, it happened in 22, it's going to happen in 23, and we need to keep the focus on that. And as well as that, what we need to focus on as well is water quality. So we are in a good place in terms of, from a European perspective, in terms of water quality. We do need to, that, I suppose that's a key thing we have to, 
protect and we have to continue to improve if we're going to retain the derogation which is absolutely paramount to, to the industry and I, I suppose I'll explain why it is so important now. So in terms of from an EU context, so what I did is I looked at European uh, dairy figures, you can look at them on the Eurostat, so I looked at 2017 to 2021, so I took that period and I looked at Ireland versus the EU average. And just to say, well, why, how do we compare in European context? If we look at it in terms of that period, mid-price earnings was 6% lower than the European average. And that's predominantly because of the processing sector and the design that we have here, which is built for a grass-based system. So you have a lot of, um, you have spare capacity for shoulders, which is which is it's not utilised because of the, of the grass-based model in terms of wind production. Then you look at the overall, our overall cost are 18% below the European average. And that's a feed cost for 19% lower, machinery was 25% lower, energy 46% lower, contract work 24% lower. So you can see that the every category there were significantly below the European average. So you'd be thinking that it's a low, Ireland's a low cost place to do business in terms of a farming perspective, but it's not. It's actually one of the highest cost countries in the world. So you move on and we look at, say, the minimum wage. So in a European context, so some countries don't have a minimum wage, like the Scandinavian countries, so they would be high as well. But of the countries that have a minimum wage in Europe, we're the second highest. Luxembourg being the, country that, the only country that's higher than us. So from a, in terms of wages, we're a high-cost economy in that aspect. And that's, you know, that's a, a positive in a lot of ways, and it's a reflection of the economic success that's happened in the country. But that obviously impacts significantly on direct, uh, directly on farmers if they're hiring staff, but also indirectly in terms of contractor, services, all of them, they're going to be impacted by that. So you move on then, you say, okay, energy. Energy was low. We were low in terms of our energy costs relative to Europe from a dairy producer perspective. We were the highest electricity costs in Europe. So again, you can see we're high cost in that aspect. And again, then you say, well, in terms of the feed side of it, so Ireland had the second lowest cost of, of grass, the only country being lower was New Zealand, and Ireland had the highest concentrate cost. And the ratio was the highest in Ireland. So the ratio in Ireland of concentrate to grass is 7 to 1 uh, in Ireland relative to other countries. And you can see a lot of those countries would be, so countries that would be, you know, you would identify as countries that would potentially produce grass relatively cheaply. So we're still very competitive in terms of our cost of grass were highly uncompetitive when it comes to the cost of concentration. And so what does this tell us? Well, it says that like, we have a significant competitive advantage at the moment, both at European and at global level. And I think that Keith's comment there earlier about why he went into the grass-based system, that encapsulates it uh, very much so. Like, we can produce milk cheaper. And but the, re- the reason, the only thing that we have that's low cost, really, is our grass base, is our grass uh, advantage. Like, you look at all the other metrics in terms of your fixed cost, uh, we're a high cost uh, economy. And that's a function of the multinational sectors in Ireland and the, the success that, that we've had economically. But that, is, that brings a high cost economy. If we take out grass, you're, then you're probably, if you're one of the countries who are high income system, when you look at all those sort of factors, it's not going to be Ireland. And what it does, though, is it highlights the importance of the derogation. I don't, I don't want to focus on that here today, but like, the bottom line here is that that's effectively our competitive advantage. Because if the derogation goes, 
then you're into you're going to see, you're inevitably going to see a drift towards a high input system. And we have a massive challenge there, and without it, we are going to effectively kill the goose that's been going away. And, and we have to be real, realistic as well. We have challenges at an EU perspective from a, in terms of uh, the derogation, but also the national perspective. Um, Antashka are currently taking a, a judicial review of the Nitrates Action Programme, which we are known as party to in the High Court at the moment. So it, it, it's something that's hugely important, and we have to work at, We have to work collectively to make sure that we protect it and we ensure we have that in place so I think just very briefly then moving on to say, well, what's the outlook in terms of what way is municipality going to go? And I think that what's becoming more and more clear now is that from a supply perspective, milk is going to be much more challenged uh, in terms of uh, supply growth in the medium to long term when we look at what's happening across the world. Ah, the weather is truly up. Uh, ploughing season, season is starting again. Dane's Ford Ploughing Association hosting the Kilkenny Novice Match this Saturday, the 13th, on lands of uh, Thomas Hughes in Old Town, Coffsgrange. That's starting at 11am. And on the same site, uh, the Dane's Ford Ploughing will hold their annual ploughing match the following day, Sunday the 14th, all classes start at 11am and as ever, everyone is welcome to come along. All that news brought to you from Brian Ireland. Another large sale today in Tullow here with over 1,600 sheep on offer. I'm glad to report the hogger trade has improved again. I caught it up by 5 to 6 euro there and a good lively trade for those well-fleshed hoggets. Looking at some prices then, those hoggets over 48 kilos, they're selling there from 152 up to 163 and 4 there. Top price today being 54 kilos there, making 172. And a couple of pens there, 55 and 6 kilos, and they're selling there up to a top corner of 168 and 9. So a lively trade for the flesh targets. Store trade then, uh, growing in confidence there with the feeders, and they're selling there the 30 to 33 and 4 kilos. They're selling anything from 97 and 8 euros up to 110 and 12 euros there. With uh, the forward, forward stores, then them 37 to 42 kilos. They're selling anything there from 115 and 16 up to 127 and 8 there. Some outstanding prices there, 40 kilo textile yo lambs, they're making 133, for instance, making 133. Cash yo trade, uh, good lively trade here again, feeding yo's, uh, they're selling from 150 to 160, 70 per kilo there. Good lively trade for them store feeders. Uh, with the heavy yo's then again, we have seen there's an amazing movement in confidence there, back to an excess of 2 euros there, lots of yo's last week there, 90 kilos, selling up to 185, 6, 7, even touching up close to 200 there for them good Texas Continental type yo's. Just to remind everyone that we have an in-lamb dispersal sale of in-lamb yos on behalf of myself on Saturday. It's my own flock of yos being offered for sale here on Saturday at 1 o'clock, Saturday at 1 o'clock. Uh, on support, greatly appreciated. Very genuine flock of yos, Suffolk, Mule and Texel Cross yos here, all in-lamb to Suffolk, due from the 8th of March, carrying one pint in lambs. OK, and cattle sale Friday, and we're back again here next Tuesday with our weekly sheep sale. Thank you. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. KCLR Mart Report. Sponsored by Kilkenny Livestock Mart. Serving the farming community for over 60 years.
Now we've had the sheep report from Eric in Tullo and now we're going to hear uh, 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 the big broad picture from George Candler. Broad is right, Matt. Uh, uh, talking off air there, newly missed our cue. But anyway, thanks, Martin. Uh, back on air. Here we go. Uh, today in Kilkenny, a bigger sale in the Bullock Ring specifically um, the uh, and a very good tra- sale for quality lots. Um, all in all, I, I'd say that the, the uh, trade was helped by number one, factory agents, number two, uh, people buying for 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 the sheds and number three Northern Ireland buyers and it's amazing when there's a want uh, I saw a cattle today nearly four years old and they were just wanted as badly as the ones two year old so uh, I think rules and regulations plus movements or oh, you couldn't have those cattle they don't qualify because they have three or four movements you know that's gone out the window also so that's good to hear so 600 kilo plus bullocks think Kenny 230 to 345 per kilo. That's 1430 to 2360 per head. Uh, five to 600 kilo bullock from 221 to 350 per kilo. That's 1180 to 1900 euro per head. With a four to 500 kilo bullock from 180 to 320 per kilo or from 760 to 1550 per head. Under 400 kilo. A range in price here 180 to 350 per kilo or from 500 euro to 1280 per head. Now, as everyone knows, our cull cow, I should know, our cull cow sale is held on a Tuesday. Now we had 200 cows and we sold 200 cows. A full clearance. Frisian cull cows from 120 to 220 per kilo up to 230 and the continentals from 145 to 2 euros 75 cent per kilo. In the heifer division today, now I said a small pen of heifer, you got only 25 pence of heifer today. Uh, the beef heifers on 240 to 320 per kilo, 1380 to 2220 per head. The forward saw heifer from 240 to 285 per kilo, 1200 euro to 1610 per head with a lighter type from 2 euro to 3.30 per kilo and from 6.80 to 11.90 per head so Matt, prices as you can see a buoyant trade there and uh, um, the bulk of people uh, today were very very happy yeah, and the prices are only where they need to be, George. That's the the reality of it. Costs have gone through the roof and uh, takes an awful lot more bullock to, to, <laughs> to, to give you a bang for your buck now. Uh, yes, indeed. And, and of course, a lot of people are saying that the smaller carcass, they're not getting as much meat off it, you know. And, and that was specifically, you know, for the, for the Angus carcass is, is a smaller carcass than the uh, continental one. But I saw Frisians today, Matt, there. 680 kilo made 17.30. That's 255 per kilo. And even 560 kilo uh, making 13.50 or nearly uh, and in excess of 240 per kilo. And I saw Frisians up to 260. So it's great to see that good movement. On the sheep front, oh, a zoomer of a trade on Monday, a very lively trade all around. Hoggets, as they are now, because we're in January the 1st, uh, they range from a price range there of 155 to 177 euro per head. That's for 65 kilo. Also, there, 58 kilo, 100. 69. Factory hoggets there from 136 to 149 per head. Uh, good trade for store lambs too. And if you have store lambs, we have a number of customers. 88 to 125 per head with a cool use from 80 to 180 per head. And as I said, even though we don't get large numbers in Kilkenny, we were up 3,000 sheep on the year. So hopefully that trend will continue. Monday sheep sale at 10.15. Dairy sale. We have 40 on offer there between calved and in calf. And if you buzz the mark tomorrow, are you looking 
into Kilkenny Mart, um, uh, you can get pull off the uh, catalogue for that sale. That's at 12.30 on Monday. Tuesday, our coloured cow sale will be at 10am. Uh, cows and weanings also at 10.30. And of course, we'll be starting our general cow sales also on the Tuesday. And Thursday next, our general cattle sale. And um, I mentioned uh, off air there, Matt, that um, uh, the hamper appeal is gone, but I still have one item left, which uh, was uh, uh, remiss of me not to get it away. It's a new Holland jacket, plus a child's jacket, plus overalls. So if anyone's interested in that, that whole package is worth in, in the region of 130 euro, and they've got the new Holland logo. So it'd be lovely for any kid to have it, or any grown up to have it, or, uh, uh, that have a few small people in the house. You'll take a decent or indecent offer. Uh, indeed I will. Indeed I will, yes. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. I couldn't help thinking with the sheep report from yourself and Eric, Sheep meat, lamb, now the premium priced red meat outside of maybe venison or wagyu or something. But other than that, it's the premium price now and well deserving of it. Nothing as nice as, as, as a, a lamb chop. True, Matt. And, and, and as I said, around Kilkenny, a lot of people have given up sheep breeding, you know. And you know why. The sheep take an awful lot of handling between, uh, you know, during the summer you have maggots, then you have lame, you have to dose. You There's an awful lot of hands-on things with sheep. And uh, as a man said I'd need two or three men to help me around the place or, or t- two decent dogs and myself you know but uh, it's not as appealing to the younger farmer as as the uh, dairy dairy scenario at the moment uh, which is a shame but th- that's the way it is but it's good to see them being rewarded because a lot of time they were the fall guy of ag- agriculture and you put your finger on it for a lot of the people that uh, had sheep all of their lives I met a couple you'd know them but I won't name them and they decided just to get out of the sheep there last year uh, despite the, the good prices and it's all down to the workload and I couldn't help thinking um, we had sheep years ago and you know the amount of work you have to put in very true uh, in terms of uh, hoof pairing and this that and the other and so on you know it, it, it's it's work it's labour intensive uh, labour intensive but there are still people looking for good sheep and I think Eric has a flock of sheep on Saturday uh, which should be worth that sale should be worth attending very genuine stock there uh, in, in Tullamart on Saturday well he was certainly full of praise for his Why own no? sheep no 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 he'd have the, he, he knows <laughs> put it this way he knows a good one for a bad one <laughs> <laughs> he does indeed listen in terms of, of, of prices in general George we've made a good start to the year uh, we're it, at the middle of January and prices are at least facing in the right direction. Now, cross fingers and toes and everything, but the outlook is reasonably positive. Yeah, yes, reasonably positive, but once again, in the cattle industry, some hiccup might come along that would deflate that uh, great confidence that is there at the moment, but it does need it. It does, uh, you know, we're, we're delighted to see that uh, at the moment the beef industry is going very well. There's good markets out there, and as I said, look at look at cattle. Look at cattle in Ireland. You know, we are a predominantly grass-based. I keep saying this, you know, and there was an argument put out there that there's been a, a massive increase in airline uh, out of Ireland which produce its own problems. Also to cars, tractors, trailers, you name it, um, lorries, etc. But they also made a point that uh, about in the 1980s, we had 8.8 million cattle in this country. Today, 6.6 million a drop of two million cattle. So, all in all, uh, why is why is the finger constantly pointed at farmers regarding emissions? Yeah, we're, uh, we've fitted in a lot of conversation tonight, George, <laughs> and right across the programme, indeed, Francie Garman to start us with, and yeah, then well visits done, to, yep. to mm. the Farrell Farm in Gorn and down to uh, Charleville to 
chat about the IGA conference. It strikes me, actually, we've interviewed um, Dennis Drennan of ICMSA, president now, and Francie Garman, president of IFA. We must, over the coming weeks, have a chat with Alice Doyle. You have an exciting life, Matt. Formerly of Carlo, now <laughs> residing in Wexford, and the first female deputy president of IFA. All to happen in the next few weeks. Martin, thank you very much for producing and engineering. For me, Matt O'Keefe, until next week, farm well, farm safely, good night and goodbye. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com.